Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 13. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Rich Park, Vice President of Pipeline Strategy and Business Development at Zuora. Rich holds degrees from UC Davis and the Peter Drucker School of Management. And though his career had humble roots, beginning as an SDR, he is coming at us now with over 20 years of experience in sales, consulting, and executive leadership. Rich lives just down the road from me in beautiful Denver, and his favorite hobbies are whitewater rafting and sampling Colorado's numerous microbreweries. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited for you to share your sales wisdom with us today. And with that, let's dive into the 12 questions. If we could start off by you telling a little bit more about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and though I'm sure most of us are familiar, a bit about Zora. Terrific. Awesome. Um, you know, it's always uh, an interesting and somewhat awkward op opportunity to kind of talk about my career um, for folks that know me. You know, I, I, I think when I, when I look back, I, I tend to downplay um, how fortunate I've been um, and lucky I've been to have, you know, some incredible experiences at some great companies and, and some great mentors. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I started my career in the late, late 90s coming out of school. Um, and I entered sort of the tech world when, when the bubble um, was, was nearing its peak. Mm. So I had a chance to early in my sales career to kind of, you know, to get a taste of, of what that dot-com, um, again, call it a bubble was like, but I learned some really interesting lessons early on about, you know, things that I think are very important today about, you know, discipline and, and, you know, managing your time and your calendar and looking for great, great leaders to learn from as a, as a young salesperson. Mm -hmm. So I kind of worked, I worked my way up through a company at the time that was called DevX, D-E-V-X.com. And after that experience for a number of years um, and working my way, way up through that company, I ended up going to grad school. I got an MBA and I think like a lot of people who sort of step out of sales, um, it's a, it's an interesting, almost, you know, confusing experience when you look at, wow, you know, what do I want to do? I've got great relationship management skills. I've got great, um, you know, understanding of, of, of the sales process and, and customer, customer focus. But man, there's just so many things. There's so many places to go. And I luckily landed an opportunity to, you know, work in, in management consulting. But my focus was on the sales and go-to-market organizations. So in some ways, I was sort of honing further in on on my craft and as time went on i really began began to realize mostly through working with the customers and the clients i had who were sales leaders that i loved everything about um the the sales call it the kind of sales operations side the sales planning sales strategy and that's it i, I was hooked i was hooked on wanting to to do nothing nothing other than be a sales leader and to plan and organize and and lead team. So that kind of took me through my experience of, you know, again, carrying, carrying quotas and um, managing teams and leading people through some consulting organizations all the way up until I think most recently about, you know, four, almost five years ago, I had a VP of sales role to run the inside sales function for a company in the insurance space here in Denver called Vertifor. And it was a, it was a great experience. I, I really really loved that that time period of my career because as a as a leader, I was able to you know mentor a number of people, um, other leaders, and sort of grow them. 
and I kind of, you know, and in a lot of ways sort of bring all of my experiences together, right, around, you know, consulting and planning and strategy and culture building and process design. So that brings me to where I am today. Um, I am in another executive leadership function, and um, I have really two jobs at Zora. And uh, for those that don't know, Zora focuses on um, billing and subscription management for uh, companies that want to, um, you know, have a have a place in the subscription economy with recurring products and services. So, um, with this with this role, I do two things. I'm responsible for pipeline strategy. So, how do we, uh, you know, build traditional sales and marketing pipeline? What are the places we do it at? How do we focus the internal? parts of the company to really be integrated, particularly around products and sales and marketing. And then I also have the, what we call ZBRs. Uh, everything in the company starts with a Z, which is, which is great. And um, they're, the, they're the SDRs throughout the organization. And we have a number of them uh, at the company really focused on you know, enterprise, um, kind of the upper band of the mid-market. So very, very challenging places for us. And we're at a, we're at a time where you know, critical mass and sort of the big, um, the big sort of crossing the chasm effect hasn't happened. You know, we're, we're, we're nearing um, this point in which I think subscription is going to be the norm, as you know, Amanda. Of course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and it's a great role. I get an opportunity to really shape careers and lead people and um, develop lots of different initiatives to, um, to grow our talent and to really help us be as effective as possible in the market. And, you know, it's a really exciting time for me, even with everything going on um, onboarding remotely is, is not uh, the best thing to do, but you know, you make do and you, you create opportunities to get to know people and you leverage technology, uh, which is something that I think this company does really well. Oh, absolutely. You guys have an incredible piece of technology to help people, you know, truly become uh, recurring revenue organizations. And I really appreciate all the content you guys put out. Uh, it's truly phenomenal. And um, the book Subscribed was written by your founder and CEO. I highly recommend that as well. And I'll link it in the show notes. Um, if you're even remotely considering switching to a subscription um, model, that's uh, the first book you should read. So I would definitely, definitely go to that. And for all the sales VPs in recurring revenue organizations who are the primary audience of this show, if you haven't read that, you need to read that as well to stay on top of your game. But um, man, Rich, that's a really fantastic kind of group of experience that you, experiences that you've had that have led you to where you are now. I love that you um, were in consulting early on in your career and that gave you kind of a bird's eye view into probably a lot of different industries and functions within organizations. And I love that you honed in on sales because yeah, I, I know when you um, <laughs> kind of get uh, bit by the sales bug, you're in and, and you're in for, for life. So that's cool. It's a great career story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. So what sources do you rely on to stay up to date on the sales and sales management profession? Um, I think that's a great question for, for everyone in, you know, in sales, because it's, it's one of those it's a profession like, like a lot, many that, um, you've got to really, you've got to hone your craft. I always use, um, the comparison to, you know, top athletes with my, with my sales staff and salespeople. And I always remind them that, you know, top athletes of, of every sport and profession, you know, they're, they're always, they're always practicing. They're always practicing the fundamentals. They're always, they're always um, going back to basics, right? And you, you look throughout history and you see the reputation of these, you know, world, world-class performers and athletes that are, were, they were in constant practice 
and constant, um, again, honing of, of what they do. And I think sales is like that. So I think for me, that practice is constantly revisiting and reading, you know, books that are out there, listening to podcasts like this one and others out there. Um, There's so many amazing voices out there about um, the right way to sell, the right way to manage organizations, the right way to um, run a sales organization. And, you know, we've, we've had an amazing ability because of social media and because of, you know, self-publishing um, and the capability to use technology to get out there. There's so many voices now that are non-traditional, you know, people that have, have run very, very successful um, podcasts. So just a few of these that, you know, I, I love listening to and I try to on a daily basis. Um, I listen to Scott Plum. Um, his Get In The Door podcast is just mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, he's inspired me to, you know, read a bunch of books out there. Um, I've become a, a fan of Frank Betcher and his book, uh, How I How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Sales. I mean, the book was written in the in the 30s, but it's got things in it that just ring true today. And it just shows you how, again, the fundamentals of the craft and honing the fundamentals you know, create amazing sales performance. Another, you know, I, I, I listened to my good friend, Jeremy Donovan's, uh, Hey, salespeople. Um, again, speaking of voices out there, you know, he, he brings those voices to bear and they tend to be, you know, people of, of, of different levels and backgrounds. And you know, there's such a diverse set of leaders that come onto his podcast. Um, I also have become, um, very, very, um, I guess very fervent as a listener of Wes Schaefer okay. and Wes Schaefer runs the, the sales podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I love the approach that he takes and the way he brings in, you know, literature, other points of view, and they all do things to really help in, 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 in this way, kind of the, the salesperson, the bag carrying quota carrying salesperson mm-hmm. to, you know, to develop everything from kind of skills to just the right mindset. You know, his last podcast, um, he had a discussion, well, he, he was sharing a book um, called Deep Survival by a gentleman named uh, Lawrence Gonzalez. And it's just so relevant for our time because this, this, this book about survival was about all these different stories of people who survived various, you know, uh, tragedies and mishaps. And he's, of course, you know, he's painting a picture of what we're all dealing with in this, you know, COVID environment. But it's, it's, again, it's a message about resiliency and how in all situations of adversity, right, the ability to, to stay calm and focus and plan your future and be methodical is the, is the single biggest thing salespeople can be doing, you know, no matter what their situation is, you know, personally and professionally. So some things that I listen to there and then obviously just an array of different books. Um, I try to go to as many of the conferences as I can every year. I know we had a tough run. Um, Rev 2020 was, was obviously canceled and um, some other one faster is a great conference. Um, I try to rely on them to not only get the latest and greatest from the industry, but also to network because I learned so much from my peers. And I think that's been the single biggest way for me to advance my current career has been by listening to other VPs and other executives about what they're doing in their organization. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. And do you have any other all-time favorite business books you'd want to add to that resource list? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I, probably the, the top one I recommend. Um, I'm at the point in my career now where a lot of my uh, former employees are jumping into 
into management roles, you know, not, not just first line, but second and third, third line roles now. And um, I always go back to a book that I uh, recommend, uh, The Servant is, is probably the all time favorite. If I had, you know, again, that, that question, what, what one book would you have on a deserted island? It'd probably be that. I love reading it. I love the simple, you know, parable nature of it. And it's such a lesson. It's a lesson for every leader out there. So I'd say The Servant, um, I am a, a, a big fan of leadership by uh, Rudy Giuliani. Now, I know he's a polarizing figure, so I'm not really trying to take any political lines here, but it's just a great book about how he led an organization, really the, the city of New York, to transform um, during a period of time that I think was so critical for, for them as a city. And I know, you know, with all the news um, and, and everything going on there, they're, they're they're in everybody's minds, but this is a great book about, um, about, you know, a person and their ability to sort of galvanize the best people. And I think it's, it's a lesson in, in surrounding yourself with people that are much better, much smarter to do things and accomplish great things. So I think those, those two books um, are fantastic. And then I think another one going back uh, that I would recommend my last one is the effective executive by yeah. Peter Drucker, mm-hmm. right? Um, just a, another a, a, a but a good fan- that's right. Another just fantastic classic book about um, what the role of the executive is, you know, as a change agent, as someone who uh, is there to create change for the, you know, for the for the organization and its and its stakeholders. And there's just so many good things to take away from it. Fantastic. And I'll link all of those in the show notes, including Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. And um, yeah. I don't want to get political on the show or anything, but I totally agree uh, to Rudy's <laughs> point about surrounding yourself that are people, uh, surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you and can kind of help fill those skill gaps that you have. Um, there's no better way to build a successful organization than to always hire people who are smarter than you. Um, I think that's a kind of a signature point to any successful leader that, you know, you can trace back their steps and see that they've done that and have the humility to do that. So that's a great point. Thanks, Rich. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you found running a sales team in a recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale? Why or why not? Um, I, I would say yes. Yes, it is. And, and um, you know, just for, for the sake of sort of simplicity for our, our listeners, um, I'm going to narrow it down to kind of two basic, two basic things that I have found. And, and talking to other leaders, we found that are, that are different from sort of the kind of one-time product or service I think the first one is um, around the the, the skill set and the competencies of the salespeople, hmm. and the re- the reason that is the the first and big differentiator is selling recurring products and the benefit and the value of them, and and leveraging you know kind of whether you want to call it kind of value selling um, that approach, you have to hire people in the organization. You have to bring salespeople in who can um, really think and get their heads around abstract concepts and be able to speak with very strong business and financial acumen. Now, that's not to say, again, folks out there who are in kind of one-time product or services sales are thinking, hey, wait a second, you know, we do that too. And and I'm not not taking that away. But selling recurring and subscription-based products um, in many ways you have to really paint a picture in certain industries where that's not the norm. There's very, there's, there's a, a number of industries where they don't think that way. The buyers do not really look to have a recurring um, revenue 
um, account payable line item on. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to go, you've got to go talk to those people about the benefits and lower overall cost of ownership. Um, you know, the lower fees to maintain it, the, the benefits of having, you know, SaaS software, which are constantly updated and constantly, you know, new and refreshed. I mean, that skill set in a salesperson, whether you're in the field, you're an SDR or an inside person, you know, you take it for granted, but you are really, especially if you're entering industries that are not accustomed to buying in a subscription recurring way you certainly have to attract people and you see this i've looked at the competency and talent models at a number of you know leading SaaS software organization and those competencies grow you know every year there's there's new expectations um, i saw one recently and this this is going back to, again the first point about the type of salespeople that are different um, storytelling has become um, you know a great required competency, the ability, and it's framed in different ways, the ability to drive a value conversation, the ability to connect and build relationships with executives, or the ability to, again, to, um, to drive this sort of sense of um, a kind of a, a, a connected conversation through storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that, that wasn't something that was important, you know, five to 10 years ago, I didn't see that pop up on a competency model. I see that now. And it's because one of the best ways salespeople can sell new concepts, new ideas, um, you know, non-tangible products and, and, and ideas like recurring subscription software is through, is through storytelling. So I think that's one is this, there's the skill set of the salesperson because they have to, um, they've got to do so much more work in their sales process around these abstract concepts in industries that, you know, are particularly not yet, uh, in the norm of recurring payments and recurring purchases. I think the second area that is different um, in this in this type of organization is um, in leading them and running them, um, you have to be so much more connected across the organization as a sales leader, right? In a, in a good recurring revenue model, you know, there's no more sort of like defined differences between when a customer purchases and, their sort of post-sale life. Like as a sales leader, you have to be really close to your, your, your post-sale partners in customer success, in consulting, you know, global services, wherever they are. Um, and there's a blurred line. There's no more of this sort of like you handed it off to them and you go. You know, salespeople are being tied to the, the recurring revenue uh, subscription and not, not letting customers churn and keeping customers there. And, and so it pulls the salesperson further into that post-sales uh, environment, much more so than I think in, in product-based organizations that I've been part of. You, know, you could in some ways kind of stay in your lane as a salesperson and you could, you could deliver value of the product and sell it. And then once that contract was done, you, you could go and keep doing that. But the customers expect the salesperson more so now than ever, the account, the account executive, the account manager, to continuously be part of this, of this cycle, of this circle of value. And that's very, very different because that's the nature of, of, of a subscription business. And, and I think what, what that implies, the second area is that unlike sort of the skills and the mindset and competencies in the first bucket, this is about the organization. And this is about the impact to a sales leader. So if you're a sales leader and you're, you're in an organization with you know, obviously a recurring revenue product, like you, you have to get close. You've got to get close to not just your partners 
downstream, but you've got to now get really close as a sales manager to the upstream efforts. What is products doing? What is product marketing doing? What's all the demand gen messaging? What is everything happening upstream in marketing that I used to just sort of be a recipient of? And why is that important? Because now, again, there's this, this cycle of customer experience and customer journeys that's evident in a subscription. And again, evident in the most successful subscription customers for every SaaS company out there. They have a life cycle to them and they have a, they have a, a growth um, in adoption that's expanding and expanding. You can only do that with a salesperson and sales leadership at the center that is connecting the dots across these various departments. And I think it's, 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 it's really different. And we're seeing companies that have done both of these well, they're really weathering the storm right now. And they're able to, you know, continue to extract value, even though we have this macroeconomic, you know, problematic climate. Mm, man, those are great points. And we're going to come back to um, how Zora handles that internally, the interdepartmental interdepartmental communication. But I love that you're saying a salesperson in a recurring revenue organization needs to be well-informed, have a business education, uh, be a trustworthy consultant and a skilled communicator. I really like those three uh, components to a recurring revenue salesperson. And then absolutely, you know, death to siloed departments that just cannot work <laughs> um, in a recurring yeah. revenue organization. So I'm really glad you spoke to that and want to come back to that in a little bit more depth here. What yeah, what changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys made in light of the economic challenges brought on by COVID-19? Well, I, I think, you know, um, there, there's been a lot of, of um, newness in the company, right? There's been some new leadership and some new processes. You know, I think since, since January, the company has been focused on bringing out really some great changes to sort of like... Um, the, the, the cadence of, of talking about the business, right? Things like QBRs have a slightly different format. Um, you know, the expectations for, you know, documenting your sales process and sales, sales stages with value selling. I mean, there's been a lot of change. I think, you know, given the impact of, of COVID and everything going on, I'd probably say, you know, the, um, probably the biggest change or sort of outlook expectation um, that's different is, I think there's much, much tighter, and this is a great thing, much, much tighter focus around, I think, um, the entire sales motion. And that's because I think right now, you know, every, every deal counts. Right now, um, you know, small deals, big deals, everything's really, really important. And, and what that's done is, you know, it's, it's really put a focus on salespeople and anyone who's customer fo focused to be a lot closer, you know, internally, we kind of call that the, the bear hug for our customers, right. During the sales cycle. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of humor in that given how much, you know, we're, we're social distancing, <laughs> but the, the, the idea, right. The, the idea of that is really important. I think that's been, that's been a great welcome, positive change at Zora. And what that looks like is it looks like, you know, good, frequent contact, checking in with your best customers, talking to them, being a human, having human interaction with them, um, talking about more than just, hey, you look, um, have, our, have our close dates on our mutual action plan slipped? No, it's about, hey, like what's, what's going on with, with you guys? Are you, you know, how have you been? How's it been working at home? Um, and, what, and what's important is, you know, that view has been, and that need to bear hug and to get close to our customers 
and to really dig in small deal or big deal. Um, I think it's, I think it's been, it's been positive and it's been fruitful and that's been, I think a, a, a big change. And it's, 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 um, it's given everybody this kind of broader, broader awareness again. I mean, you, you keep hearing everybody say, Hey, we're all in this together, but when you get that close to your customers and you talk to them, you realize the challenges they face and how, what a tough budgeting, uh, cycle, you know, our own customers are in, right. Um, even, even though, you know, they, they have, you know, recurring and, and in some cases, you know, good locked in subscription rates and things like that, mm-hmm. you still have to go and win those renewals. You still have to win those upsells and cross sells. So I think the biggest, biggest change here has been um, just, again, this, this human 360 focus on, on customers um, for the sake of, of deepening relationships. So that when we come out of this, right, whether they purchase in this quarter or another cycle, they can definitely say, Hey, my, my relationship with, you know, my Zora salesperson is, is, has been strengthened by all of this because, you know, they, 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 they came at me in a, in a very human 360 way with a lot of emotional intelligence and a strong, you know, understanding of, of my organization. And, you know, I think those things, those things pay off in the future, even just from a relationship and a kind of human, human side, right. If you, if you will. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Um, I think the umbrella of what you're saying here is doubling down on customer relationships. And I know that all of the content coming out of Zora right now is about doubling down on customer relationships. And so I love that you guys are practicing what you Mm -hmm. preach. That's really great. And it's a great time to be working uh, on the business and, you know, also doubling down on standard operating procedures and refining processes and uh, becoming a more efficient even, you know, lean organization and get everybody kind of rowing in the right direction. So that's cool that you guys are taking this opportunity to do that. What's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now, given the sudden economic downturn? Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll offer the advice that I've, I've been given to, I've been giving to peers um, and mentees that I've talked to over the last, you know, I'd say 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, the same piece of advice. I think the first one is um, for sales teams out there is start to think about start to think about all of your resources that you have within the company. You know, you might be a salesperson listening. You know, you're you're in an apartment, you've got you know a roommate or two, and it's just been this whole isolation thing has been going for a while, and you know it's it's tough to sort of like deal with sort of coming in and out of this sense of despair. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who are extremely positive, but I've also talked to people who've been um, having difficulties. And I say, number one, sales team, look at all your resources that the company has for you. And I don't just mean like your tools and training. I mean like mental health resources. I mean things like um, other additional online learning that you may have access to, 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 to learn a new skill, learn a new way to perfect your craft, Maybe it's, maybe it's learning public speaking in a master class or LinkedIn learning. If a company has resources like that, use them right now. Because now is a time where, you know, in this business cycle, you're not just pushing all out and trying to contact customers and sell things. This is an opportunity for you, the seller, to take stock of what's important, your own health, your own well-being, your loved ones, the people around you. And I think if you start there and you look for the resources that you have available to you, you feel empowered and you come from a place that says, hey, no matter if this goes for another 90 days, like I'm going to be okay. 
because I've, I've, I've got a plan and I've got a set of resources and I've got things here in front of me that I can go and use. So I think that's the first number one piece of advice is just take a breath, realize you're not alone in this and look around you and see what you have, who you have. And I think you're, I think everybody who does this realizes, wow, they've got a lot of people in their corner and they, their companies have resources to help them. And they should really take advantage of those now more than ever. And that's sort of the mindset and sort of emotional world that I think people have to be grounded in. And that's the first piece of advice. The second one is really just, again, around sales skills. And this is what I would tell salespeople. If you have a set of tools at your disposal, your ability to use them will help you rise above the noise. If you have video, if you have a cadence tool, with templates in it. If you have tools for understanding, you know, uh, customers and their personas, like whatever you've got, even if it's just a CRM tool, look at that tool right now as the best friend that you have. Because you, every salesperson listening, every sales manager listening, are competing with hundreds of thousands of other people trying to rise above the noise. And the ones that will get through, the ones that will will get access to a customer or a buyer, especially in these times, are ones that are being creative, are ones that are thinking through and finally applying the science that, you know, has been talked about in a number of different blogs. Um, you know, I think um, if you if you listen to John Barrows's, you know, frequent, um, you know, uh, podcasts and his, what he publishes on LinkedIn, I mean, he is saying loud and clear, salespeople, the same stuff that worked for you five months ago is not going to work right now in this mm -hmm. environment. You know, he says, right, you know, think differently about your customers. They're not names on a list. They're people. And you've got to vary your approach. Use different things. Use video. Try a different message. Try texting. Try something that will work. And that's what, I, that's what I'm telling people. And so far, you know, people that have altered that approach, they're finding success. It's not, it's not in the volumes you, you would have in a normal economic cycle, but people are finding success because they're altering their approach and they're saying, wow, Rich, I didn't even realize we had this tool here in my company to, you know, automatically kind of like help book meetings and do things like that. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so productive. Or, hey, Rich, I took your advice. And, and at this, this mentee, Amanda, all they have is email. All they've got is out, Outlook is their CRM. They're at a oh, startup. <laughs> Outlook is their, they don't have, but you know what? They, they made the best of it. They've utilized the, the, the reminder notification functions, the tasks. They've sort of refactored their Outlook to function as an incredible tool to help them stay productive and even manage a cadence. They're doing a seven-step cadence inside of it. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, but my point is, they are, they are making the most of it. And they're, I think she shared with me that her contact rates have tripled, like her ability to kind of get somebody to respond wow. has tripled since she started using. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? I mean, it's, there's, there's definitely a need for her at this startup to have other tools, but, but again, use tools, use them, whatever you've got, use, use it to the best of your ability. And, and, and that advice I think has helped a number of salespeople I know to raise their production and again have a sense of have a sense of mastery and control over what's going on because they're they're being very productive and they're learning and they're being very um you know forward and they're being um courageous to really do this and i think doubling down in your tools is absolutely great
and, and, and probably the, the uh, a great piece of advice I'd offer all sales teams. Great. I love that you're uh, mentioning mental health and how important that is. You know, if we don't have mental health, it's hard to have health in other areas. So that being number one, and then closing skill gaps right now. So you're better at your craft, you know, when we do eventually emerge from this crisis. And so being better and nothing stimulates my creativity, like digging in and doing trainings and reading books and listening to podcasts and attending webinars. Um, so I think those all kind of bleed in together really well. So thanks for sharing that. And now we're going to come back to cross-departmental communication. So how is that handled at Zora? For instance, how intertwined is sales with product, marketing, and customer success? Um, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm fairly new to the company, but I've been pleasantly surprised at, you know, the degree of, of collaboration and alignment across the departments. Um, and that takes the form of, of, of a couple of fashions. I think number one and, and very important is, is the senior executive alignment. You know, there are, there are cross-functional senior leadership calls uh, that, are, that are, uh, are on specific topics and they tend to center around sort of the biggest challenges mm. to the organization. Um, but what's great about it is, you know, you, a after an hour on those calls, you know, certainly having been on them in other companies, at, at Zora, what I like is there's usually a, um, a, 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 sing a singular executive kind of driving that particular conversation, getting the cross-functional agreement, and then there are a number of players on that call who kind of like memorialize the notes and get action items done. And so it's always front and center, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a great chief of staff model here at Zora where these execs kind of have their point person and their point people keep these things moving. They keep them moving. Um, so it drives a lot of alignment and it's been, it's been extremely pleasant to see and encouraging to see, right, a highly, highly functional senior leadership team from all of those functions um, talking again about the most important things for the company and getting aligned. Um, and, and there's a culture, I think, of healthy conflict. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, if you kind of go back to, um, you know, Patrick Lencioni's um, five dysfunctions. I think he recently renamed his book. Another, another phenomenal treasure, treasure book, of yes. course, is, is his five functions book. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but he says, he says in there, right, the sign of a healthy team, a sign of a great team is, is, is that trust, the ability to be vulnerable, to, um, to take chances, but to have healthy conflict. And mm -hmm. I think that's the first thing that Zora does really well to keep cross-function alignment is people speak up, and, it, and it's valued and it gets everybody on point again with the most important things impacting the company. Um, if you kind of go sort of down, down a level to, you know, that kind of middle, ma middle management to the, to the executors and the line employees, there is again alignment there that you see and it doesn't sort of get lost at the top layer because Zora does a really good job of, of orchestrating across the departments when it comes to, again, the go-to-market strategy, the approach to managing customers, um, and, and the plans for each, because we use um, uh, an OKR system, right? Our, our OKR system are kind of like corporate level MBOs, right? That um, unlike other frameworks that kind of get diluted, right? By the time they get to an individual contributor, the OKRs at Zora tend to stay um, phrased, framed, and facilitated is the, is the way I describe it okay. all the way from the top, right? So every, you know, each employee in each department knows 
and they can actually, in many cases, articulate what the OKRs are for their bosses three or four levels up. And it, it's fascinating when you see that model work because everybody sort of knows the direction they need to be pointing, right, for their particular function. So to those examples of like, you know, product, marketing, and sales, we all know we've got to grow pipeline and we have to go and win with this new go-to-market strategy that we have. We all know it. And it points us and, and our OKRs, the goals that translate and, and make, make their way all the way down to the employee are focused on that. And it, it, it cuts out a lot of the, you know, the, the time that you would waste when people know my boss and, the, and, and her boss and her boss above are all lined up around these things. So if this project that I'm on or this thing I'm going to take on doesn't add to that, that's not in my personal goals either. And, and I'm not going to focus on that. So mm. that, that piece is, the piece is really powerful is to use the sort of OKR process. I, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a big fan of it for a lot of my leadership career, but I think it's because I hadn't seen it really work well. And at Zora, right, on that front end, right, product, marketing, and sales, they're driving for alignment. And it's still in progress. Like we are still trying to get alignment with all of our OKRs, but they're going to get there and it's going to help stay aligned. As you go further down the sales process, right, sales and consulting and, and strategy and the implementation te teams and in services, same thing aligned around these similar concepts of growing customers, um, you know, having a, a, a service level pyramid, right. Of like, Hey, let's treat, let's take care of our best customers and really invest there. Let's build a great self-service model at the bottom and let's do our best to rest. Like that whole thing is aligned. Um, so there, there's, there's, you know, constant um, push and pull, obviously, but it's, it's orchestrated in a much better way because the goals are interlocked and they're interlocked because of this OKR process at the middle and employee level. That sounds like a really fantastic, transparent way of operating. And I love that you use the chief of staff model and that there is an executor because we have our visionaries, but without the executor and kind of how each of those projects gets uh, disseminated down the, down the org chart, um, you know, it doesn't matter if there isn't someone to stay on top of it and make sure it's happening. So it's great that you guys have that system and alignment and goals. And uh, I love that lower level staff knows what higher level staff is held accountable into and what their OKRs are for the quarter. So very cool. Mm -hmm. um, earlier, you talked about the importance of salespeople being involved in the entire customer journey for recurring revenue organizations. Do you think that sales people's pay should be structured in such a way that they are directly incentivized to ensure renewals happen? Um, you know, I, I think there's the question of, of, of structure and there's the question of if they should, I think those are, those are two different, two different parts here. The first one is most organizations really bought into the model and, and, it, and it works depending on your cost structure, depending on your, your go to market strategy, and what I mean by structure is, you know, everybody knows this world of discrete farmers and hunters, right? Mm -hmm. Some people don't like those terms, but it helps us all understand what they are, right? An account manager responsible for, you know, recurring renewals and churn, things like that is a, is a quote unquote, a farmer. And then you've got, you know, hunters who go out there getting, to get new business. A lot of companies are, are, are very, very um, embedded in that model. And, 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 if, and if you do that, then yes, absolutely. You know, that's a non-starter. You are on the hook if you're an account manager in that model for churn and upsells and 
retention of customers. There's no question. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a there's another model. There's another model that um, has been gaining a lot of traction um, around the world, and it's it's in many ways kind of a a reversal of this world that we have with discrete discrete farming and hunting, and it's one in which um, customers have been asking, especially you know the bigger customers around the world. They don't like the hunting and farming model. Mm. It's really interesting. We we like our sales teams to be bifurcated between hunting and farming, but guess what? We hate buying from organizations like that because guess what? My hunter goes away. They're gone. And now I've got a whole new cast of characters to start over with. And, mm. you know, executives have been saying this for almost a decade now saying, you know what? We don't like that model, right? We, we want, we want accountability especially if we're a global, yeah. you know, enterprise, enterprise account. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that, in that world, in that structure, if you are a company that's contemplating that and your customers are, are saying what our customers at Zora have said, that they want accountability. They want a, they want a full cycle soup to nuts end to end accountable sales executive. Then you absolutely have to compensate that person for the success of that, of that product platform for the success of adoption and the organization's growth. And, and most importantly, right, we, we, as a sales organization and most sales organizations, we sell a customer on value. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense to hold the person who sold that, them on that value accountable for the realization, the instantiation, the, the, the actual, you know, reality of that benefit coming to life. And I think, you know, we'll, we're going to start to see more of that. We're going to start to, as, as more, you know, C-level buyers become louder and louder, especially in this current climate, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some type of accountability all the way through the sales process for the initial sale, especially if it was based on value. Um, that's, that's the biggest reason I see for churn across the industry, all across software. You know, you, you sort of see this hidden underbelly of lack of value realization. And it's really mm-hmm. unfortunate. And so I think one of the ways, one of the ways obviously to, to turn that in a different direction is how we pay our salespeople. And if salespeople are trained, they're enabled cross-functionally and they're given all the tools to do that, we're gonna see a, a much higher sticky rate for SaaS software companies across the board. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about, it's not just about compensation, but I think it's one of the levers is to, is to help salespeople really um, ha- build trust with their customers that they are going to be kind of like the chief value realization officer for their customer. Like and that. that, yeah, that is, that's starting to take hold in, in many circles, but it's not yet the norm. We're still stuck in this hunter, farmer, flip it over. Um, hey guys, you guys take this, value thing and go make it happen at the customer. I got to go close some more business. Right. And our, and our buyers, our buyers don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we want that singular um, accountability. And I, and I, and I hope that the industry moves in that direction because it's better for our buyers. It's better for our customers. I like that. Yeah. We should sell the way that we want to buy. I like that you guys are taking big strides to move that way, but it is, you know, our sales compensation models are deeply entrenched and old and um, have not quite evolved to the level that they need to, to accommodate incentive alignment across organizations and the customer journey. So that was well said. All right. We've just got two more questions. What are one to three, 
Yeah. One to three pieces of advice you give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy. And is that different than what you would have said pre COVID-19? You know, I, I, I'm going to just give two for the sake of time. And just because I know sales VPs out there have really short attention spans, <laughs> I would be amazed. I would be amazed if a sales VP has been listening the whole way through, you know, it'd be awesome. Just, I just know them. I have been when I know the job. So here's the two. And I think they well, the first one would not be different given the first one would not be okay. So sales VPs out there for all you guys, um, if you haven't done some kind of, you know, zoom or some sort of virtual, Webex, you know, informal happy hour. And again, I want to be careful with the term happy hour because not everybody drinks out there, as you guys all know, right? Uh, but just some sort of social that's not a forecast, right? I, I, I heard about, you know, a director friend of mine who did one of these. It was an informal Zoom happy hour and it turned into a forecast call, which is really mm. unfortunate, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> don't, don't do that. And, and that, this first point is this, reach out to your people and, and do something that is a little less formal, even if this is not your style. And I think a lot of sales VPs, this is your style. And this is particular for, for sales VPs that are in the third line, third line, third line, second line, second line, third line, get, get on a zoom, get it, you know, do it on a Friday or Thursday afternoon, depending on where your teams are and just check in with them. Ask them, ask them things like, Hey, what was the, what was the you know funniest thing or best thing you saw on you know Netflix or Amazon while you were mm -hmm. on quarantine? Or hey, you know what's what's the coolest thing you know you 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 miss? What's the thing you miss the most? Where would you want to just questions and and engage your teams by showing them your human side and exposing their human sides on something as simple as kind of like a thirty minute or one hour Zoom? You would be amazed how much your staff you know, sales VPs um, are, are craving that kind of connection with their leaders and how much they, especially now, right, they're looking for that mentorship. They're looking for that leadership. So if you haven't done that, connect with your teams, set it up and make it informal and, you know, make it agenda list and just talk and, and ask them how they're doing. It's never awkward. You know, I've done a, I've done a couple of these with my team's at Zora and, and in every case, right. I can, I can, I can just see on their faces, right. Even though I'm new, they, they've appreciated it. And, you know, they know that I care and I'm, 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 I'm extending, you know, this, this ability to connect and using technology. So that's the first one. And that would not have been different. I would say that would not have been different given COVID. Mm -hmm. We should always be, we should always be connecting with our, with our people because, you know, I, I have this, saying that I, I tell my sales managers, it's called the 10%, the 10% the rule. And I, I tell my sales managers, people that believe in you as a leader and people that follow you are always going to give an extra 10%. They always will mm. because of that relationship factor, because of the, because of that sort of like leader follower factor that we can never quantify. There's right. just something amazing. There's something amazing about being in an organization where you respect your leadership you'll always work harder for them. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is definitely a different one. I would not have said um, with, with COVID, I would mm -hmm. not have said that this, and here's this other piece of advice for, for sales VPs out there, reduce the noise, make your job right now, right now, look at all the meetings, all the internal things, your sellers, 
every single one of them are being pulled into. And for the next week, the next two weeks, look to reduce as many of those as you can. Mm. Um, and this is so important right now because salespeople, they may not be telling you sales VPs, it's hard for them to focus right now. And, and it's tough. And they don't, they're afraid for their jobs. Right. Everybody is. And, and they don't want to say no to all the meetings. They don't want to say no to everything internal. But guess what? It is eroding their productivity. Every hour, every half hour, every 15-minute thing, whether it's from you, your leadership, or somewhere else in the organization, reduce them. And have the courage to go to the other cross-functions and ask them for help and say, hey, listen, I want to collapse some of these meetings into one. Hey, I'm trying to reduce time so my sellers can focus. Um, I would not have said that so much before because I think all sales leaders know about this one. But right now, goodness gracious, it's the most critical thing we can do as leaders is to preserve and protect the precious time of our salespeople, mm. um, especially given how hard it is to get through to customers and be productive and all the, all the uh, distractions and the perils of isolation while you're just trying to work from home. So um, if you're out there, sales leaders, like make that your number one task, put it at the top of your list, reduce, reduce unnecessary meetings for your people. They will thank you for it, and, and you will see an increase in productivity, and I would think even morale at this point. Yeah, I think those are great points. I mean, you're talking about being an empathetic human both inside and outside of the organization and having some grace for people in their life situations. A lot of us have kids running around at home, myself included. <laughs> and, um, uh, right. It's yes. just a crazy different time with homeschooling and everything going on and relatives. So yes. yeah, good points. All right, last question here. I am a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility as sales teams to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process? Wow. I mean, I think, um, I think there's only so much we can control. I, I do agree with everything you said. You know, we, we are the engine, the, the engine of, of, of many parts of the economy. I think to really, really get things going, right? Um, I just, I want to reinforce that idea that it's not so much about us and our ability to kind of crank that engine. It's about our customers and it's about their ability to, again, be part of the, of this effort as well. And so I think, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of organizations right now during this COVID period kind of push on salespeople for more output and more horsepower, which, you know, is understandable because, you know, we want productivity up, we want forecasts, but I think we're neglecting and we're forgetting about, you know, the impact that all of this, outreach and contact is having on our customers. You know, there are a number of organizations like that are just calling home phone numbers. Like they're just calling customers at home. And on one side, you know, you could say, Hey, well, we got to get a hold of them somehow. And you know, we've got a contract, we got to work through this, but I would say, just think it through. Right. Because our customers are humans also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we, if we want to get things going, we cannot do it at the expense and, and I've said this a lot over the calls, we, we, this, this, this podcast, we can't do it at the expense of our customer relationships. And, you know, we can't, we can't bear hug a customer and then sort of like, you know, shove them from behind when this is all over. Mm. Um, if any, if anything, this current economic climate has taught us the value of empathy, um, EQ, right? Sales, sales mm. EQ which, uh, you know, I, I love, I love the concept of, 
Um, but I think that's what's going to ultimately get us out of this is, is keeping and preserving the broadest perception in your customer markets about what kind of company you were during this whole period. And if the customers, when they talk about you and they provide, you know, a back channel reference, they may be saying things like, oh yeah, I had a terrible experience with their implementation. Oh no, 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 listen, they're, they're, they're not great. But those mm -hmm. customers will say, hey, listen, I'll tell you what though, this is the best company I've ever worked with because even though I was having issues, they listened to me. Like you, I can't tell you how much that meant to me during this time period. I was working at home. I was a new customer and they took care of me. They listened. They were human. They were empathetic. You're never going to go wrong in doing business with this company. Like that's what we want them to say. And I think that that's another side of driving this engine. It's our customers are watching. They're listening. They're, they're listening to the way we're engaging. They see right through all of our, our messaging. Like I, Amanda, you've seen it too, right? Like months ago, uh, months ago, commercials were like, hey, it's time to you know, buy a car, come and buy a car. And now it's now the commercials are like, we totally understand how terrible your situation is. We're here for you. We care. Come and buy a car. Come and buy a car. <laughs> like customers see right through that, right? <laughs> yes. um, our, our sales process is no different. It's no different. They see right through our, our you know, veiled sympathy and empathy. Like unless it's real, they will remember and our customers are so important because they tell others about what their experience has been with us. So I think if we want to get this thing going, focus on the customers and their experience and, and, and don't just do empathetic messaging and engagement for the sake of it, because that's what we're being trained to do during COVID do it because we genuinely care mm. and do it because we genuinely, when we come out of this, we want customers to give us a new kind of reference, a new kind of advocacy, one that we haven't seen. In, in, in the business world before. And that's, that's a human reference for somebody to say, you know what, that company right there, I did have a bad experience with them, but I tell you what, I, I will be a customer of theirs for life because when this was all going on, they gave me flexibility and payment. Mm -hmm. They understood my company situation. They were there for me. That's a new dynamic where we're going to see, and that's going to get this engine kicking and that's going to get, that's going to get our markets back up and the companies that invest in that and the companies that get their salespeople to, to really focus on those relationships and preserving that new kind of reference, they're going to win. And, and I'm, I'm convinced because I'm starting to see that effect, you know, now in the markets, right? These are humans we're selling to. And so, you know, let's, let's keep them close and win their hearts and minds right through, through this time period. Oh, very well said. Thank you again to Rich Park of Zora for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on sales in the subscription economy.